This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. Just got back from the Epic Intensive, the first one of 2017. We've got another one coming up in May. But if you're bummed because you saw all of the excitement online and you, that you that you missed out on this one because you really did miss out if you weren't there, uh, I've got a special treat for you. We're going to do a live online coaching session, and I'm just going to go through all of the highlights, the best of the best of the two days, and you can witness for yourself what everyone there that was in attendance, what they were so excited about. So just go to epiconlinecoaching.com, epiconlinecoaching.com. We're going to talk about what there actually is to do step-by-step of how to escape the rat race, all right? EpicOnlineCoaching.com. And on the first night of the Epic Intensive, we went ahead during dinner, we recorded a live podcast where we took Q&A from the audience, and that's what I have for you today. So enjoy. This is the podcast that shows people how to escape the rat race using real estate. All you gotta do is just change one thing one time and you can set yourself free. And that one thing is to shift your mindset from making piles of cash to streams of cash. You do that one time and you are on your way. It is not the most exciting path. It's rather dull and boring, but it is the fastest. And that is why we're here. So welcome everybody. Glad you all made it today. We had a fantastic day. And uh, I'm here with Mercedes, my partner in crime. I'll say hello, Mercedes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and we are here with, with Mr. Stephen Gray, who did a, an exceptional training today on networking and how to generate leads doing that. And we're going to hear from him in just a minute. But we've got your questions that came in all throughout the day, got your cards, and we're going to take the opportunity to go ahead and answer those for you, okay? So, Mercedes, question number one, I guess? Or do you have something else you want to say there? I do want to say something else, but the reason we created this segment is because I'm very fortunate to work alongside this amazing person who not only simplified real estate investing, but created a step-by-step manual, so to speak, called the Epic Pro Academy that literally teaches investors from all over the country, dare I say all over the world, because this evening we have somebody from Japan in the room. We also have someone that just got here from England. So I understand that this strategy can work in other places outside of the United States. But we get so many requests for Matt to I asked him questions in our office, you know, what would Matt do? And, and if Matt's in the office, he will absolutely take the call. So I wanted to extend this opportunity out for just the average individual to ask him questions because very seldom do people get to ask him questions. So um, I'm going to start off with asking question number one that came from Paul in Little Rock, Arkansas. Matt, what is your end game investing goal? The end game. Gosh, is it ever going to end, I wonder. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is the, the uh, I'm a big fan of the book Millionaire Real Estate Investor that Gary Keller wrote. And the idea of having a million dollars a year of passive income is, is, a, is a good goal that I'm going for. And uh, But I know I, once I travel so far, I see further. Right, Stephen? <laughs> yep. And so I, I can imagine that once I get there, I'll be like, okay, what's next? But 
I guess that's, that's, the, that, that's the big milestone that I'm shooting for right now. I have to say I wouldn't mind a million dollars a yeah, month in passive yeah, income, so I like that it's answer. It's an arbitrary number, but it's, it sounds good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Paul, for asking that question. Um, so Paul also asks, Matt, what is next year, uh, or what is next in your investing career? You always have something brewing, mm. which is very true. So I'm curious as to what's on the horizon. Got it. You know, what's next, I guess, is what we're actually doing right now. It's relatively new. We've been, it's been our focus for probably the last nine months, and I could see it probably panning out for the next year or so to completely fulfill. And that is, we are now, we've built this giant real estate portfolio, and we have got all of those properties that we manage. And we spend a lot of time managing the property managers. So I'm at a point now where I, I want to eliminate some of that work. So we are start, did like an 80-20 analysis on our whole portfolio and taking looking at that 80% that give us the most headache and how can we get it and just keep the 20% that run nice, smooth, and easy. So about nine months ago, we started liquidating that 80% and turning them into seller finance notes. And so we're, hold, we're, constantly, we're gradually working our way towards that to more and more notes and creating that passive income in that fashion. And, but then holding on to those 20% of those really nice properties that seem to manage themselves and, and do really well for us. So that's, that's the next thing, and we're actually right in the middle of the next thing. What comes next, I'm not totally certain, but I'm sure I will know soon. And I'll be, you'll be the first to know, okay, Paul? As you say, travel as far as you can see, and yep. when you get there, you will see further. Sure enough, you'll see further. Uh, next question comes from Jarrett Phoenix from Phoenix, Arizona. I had two potential sellers recently flake out on a meeting at a property after the initial call. These were distressed sellers. How do I avoid their flakiness in the future? Ah, <laughs> that's, that's like the silver bullet. How do you avoid other people's flakiness, right? Because <laughs> it's always their fault, right? And the first thing that comes to mind is the motivation just isn't there. The urgency isn't there. That's why they didn't show up. And if that wasn't the case, the second thing would be perhaps you didn't give them a good enough reason to show up is what I'm thinking. So something was there, whether there was a lack of trust or a lack of security or a lack of what's the um, other word I'm looking for. Uh, Perhaps uh, when you're dealing with people in distress, preserving dignity, maybe they're embarrassed a little bit, something like that. Those are all different things to look at, but they didn't show up because they didn't see the value in it is ultimately what it comes down to. Thank you. The next question comes from Rachel from Little Rock, Arkansas. How do you go back and renegotiate a price after inspection or a due diligence period? Oh, that's easy. Okay, so <clears throat> you get your property under contract, right? And you're under a contract of price and terms, predominantly of what you and the seller agreed to, and a lot, most of that in the beginning is based off of the seller's opinion, right? So once you conduct your due diligence, which is exactly what you should do, you get these reports. You get a property inspection report. You get the title report. You get, um, if you want to go further and you're, you're inspecting the roof and you're having a specialist come in and look for mold or moisture or anything like that, you're doing all these inspections. And you're going to find some stuff that the seller didn't disclose. That almost always happens. So when you have that information, as we talked today, it's going to be you and the seller against the market, right? You have no control over that. So it's you and the seller versus the market. So if you maintain that mindset when you go back, say, okay, Mr. Seller, I just want to, Mrs. Seller, I want to share with you what we found. 
And this is the, the certified physical property inspector. He went ahead and did a thorough inspection of the whole property, tested the electrical and the plumbing and the roof and the foundation and checked everything, made sure everything worked. And this is what he came back with. And what it looks like is that we might have a little bit more repair here than we thought. In fact, I had my contractor come out and he gave a bid. And just to make sure that he was in the ballpark, we had a second bid. And this is what we've got here. So as you can see, we had the value or the repairs estimated at $10,000. And right here, the bid is a little bit closer to 15. So how would you like to share with me in this new found liability? And Rachel, we do that every then, single day. And then you just shut up and listen. That's the big question. So what you've done is you've positioned yourself as you're on their side, and we're going to share in this newly found liability. And, that, and that's, that's the way I pose it, and I just be quiet and let them speak. And there could be a long moment of silence there. And it can get actually rather uncomfortable sometimes. But just the first one that speaks loses on that one. Okay? So that's how I do it. Answer your question? Good? Yeah. All right, sweet. She also asked, how and where do you market for your rentals that are currently available? So how do you find a tenant? The tenants. Well, the property manager does all, does all that for us. But um, for property, uh, for finding tenants, where do tenants go? I mean, most of them are online. Um, someone had a great idea of the laundromat thing today. So I'm thinking about that for something slightly different. But um, normal stuff, Craigslist, uh, MLS, our property managers put them on the multiple listing service for rentals. Um, we, we advertise all of our stuff on, on Facebook, our rentals. Um, Facebook, you can get very targeted just for that market. You can target your ideal tenant and all the demographics. So I think all of those. And if you've got a good rental and there's demand in the area, it shouldn't take long at all to find a tenant. Carlos from Newport Beach, California wants to know, how do I privately fund a rental property? How do you privately fund a rental property? I imagine you're, you're looking for a private money lender. Is that what, what I'm thinking? Who asked for that question? Carlos from New Carlos, Beach. is that accurate? Is he here? He's not. How do you private, okay. I'll take a stab at it, what I think he means. I'm thinking he asked, how do I get a private money lender for to, rental to, property. so he I can think buy right. a rental. Yeah. First, like I'd say, if you wanted to do that, even if you're going to sell a property, you find a good property first. You find out what that property can bear, and now you know what you can offer the private lender. But I would find the property first, find the deal first. If you go around asking to borrow money, it's going to be a tough go. But if you have a deal and you can go out and offer an opportunity, much easier path. You do say, find the deal first, and the money will come. So Absolutely. that's true. Uh, Michelle from Michigan wants to know, when putting a team together, how can a beginning or beginner investor go about pursuing uh, a budget for their team? Does she compensate per deal, per week, per month? So how do you compensate your team members? Is that kind of what you're going with, Michelle? Got it. Um, in the beginning, I would watch the overhead and the fixed costs. So I think starting and sharing in the deal or having some sort of uh, reward for a, a closed deal, I think, is the best way to go. You can do that as a percentage. It's probably the easiest and quickest way to get somebody on, especially if you're newer and not established yet. Um, but you'll find once you start doing a few deals, that's actually a very expensive route to go. So um, keep them, present that and have it in mind that, okay, we're going to go ahead and we'll split a portion of the deal as we're getting started. But as we do more and more business, I'm putting more and more at risk, so we're going to have to make an adjustment to that later. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Is that, is that fair? That's kind of how I've done it. 
But yeah, the, the, the percentage thing sounds like a good deal when you have no money to pay a team. But you quickly, once you start doing deals, you see, wow, I'm writing a lot bigger checks than I would if I had just paid him a salary. Uh, Michelle also wants to know, I heard another successful investor speak, and she said that beginner investors should wholesale or fix and flip to pay off bad debt before investing in cash flow and buying and holding properties. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that strategy for new investors? Um, it's a strategy. And, uh, it's, I don't say it's, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. There are a lot of variables at play. It depends what kind of what position you are in, uh, financially, mentally, where your risk tolerance is, what your personality is about for real estate. But I do have a general rule of thumb. If you, if you want to escape the rat race, and your goal is to create that passive income so it exceeds your expenses, the rule of thumb is utilize as much debt as you possibly can, as much leverage as you possibly can to build your cash flow. Once you've got your cash flow to the level where that you find satisfactory and you want to sustain it and preserve it, now start paying off the debt. So you take on debt to build, you take, out, take off debt or pay down debt to preserve. Is that good? And that's, it's a rule of thumb. There's exceptions and variables and, you know, but I think that's uh, the primary rule that we follow and that's how I think it, by the use of leverage, we looked at it today, right? It's going to five times your results by just the use of leverage. So you go five times faster. True. Thank you, sir. Sylvester from New Jersey. Oh, Melissa and I know him as Sly. Sly wants to know, the seller wants to pay a finder's fee to bring a buyer to the table. How will you get paid so that you're sure that you are paid? Hmm. Or how do you set it up so you're sure that you're paid? Sounds like a real estate agent to me. Sounds like a listing, right? It's not, but that's what it sounds like. That's the structure. You're paying, you're a finder's, it sounds like it, Chris, this is a non-exclusive listing agreement, basically, right? And as a real estate agent, I would have never taken that deal. And as a real estate investor, I wouldn't touch it either. If you happen to cross paths with somebody that makes a good fit, then maybe. But uh, I wouldn't go out and exert any sort of effort in finding a person for that property. Thank you. The next question is from Kenneth. Uh, Kenneth said, I have two possible deals with the distressed sellers, pre-foreclosures, with no deals under my belt. How should, I, uh, how should I approach it, and what should I watch out for? Got it. So two deals. This would be his first two deals. Correct. They're both pre-foreclosure. Appears. How yes. should we approach? Yes. Okay. Um, the first question is you, you, just, you have to find out what they want. I wouldn't go in with any deciding, like any decisions you've already made without asking them what they want first. Once you ask what, what they want, great. Let's see what you got and see if I can give it to you. And that's how, that's how I'd approach that. Because when it comes to pre-foreclosure, that, that usually there, there's a Pandora's box of, of issues there that you're going to have to deal with. And it's, you know, you've got probably back taxes you're going to have to deal with. You've, I'm sure if, if they're in pre-foreclosure, you've got some payments to catch up on. There's lots of stuff there. So you've got to find out what their situation is. But find out what they want first and see if it's even feasible. They're in the world of reality because a lot of them are not. And then once you get that, then you've got to get real and find out the condition and the situation of the property. And what should he watch out for? What should he watch out for? Um... Making a decision without all the information, I guess. 
and I, that's kind of a general answer. But um, if they're in pre-foreclosure and you've deemed what they, have, what they want is feasible or it's in the realm of reality, the next step is to get them to sign what's called an authorization to release information. And that's what that does is that they're handing over the right to you to talk to their bank on their behalf so you can find out exactly what's up with their property. And so that would be the next step, and that's where you can get the real nitty-gritty and the actual facts, because you're going to find that they, they differentiate probably significantly from what the seller told you. So that would be it, and, and if you go there, then I think you're safe to put it under contract, and then go ahead and conduct your normal due diligence as you would with any property. Willie from San Diego wants to know, how do I find and motivate acquisition managers out of state? How do you find and motivate? <clears throat> okay, um, out of state, I, I don't think there's any replacement for meeting face-to-face, -face, so it's probably gonna be worth a trip if this is something that you're gonna take on seriously. So I would go there, uh, time your trip, go ahead and look in advance, find the RIA meetings, find, find the meetup groups, any sort of networking events, and try and get a nice little cluster of those on the calendar and go to there, go there to meet somebody, let them know what you're looking for. That's how I'd find them. Um, the other thing that uh, we do when we go into a new market and we're looking for some people on the ground, we're about to do this in Memphis right now, is we'll put an ad on Craigslist. We'll put a job ad on Craigslist and then we'll fly into a hotel or fly in and then we'll stay in a hotel and then we'll schedule all of those job interviews like back to back every 30 minutes at the hotel. We just make them come, make them come to us. So those are two ways to find that, that have worked for us in the past. And then to, to motivate them, um, again, you kind of have to decide what they're looking for in, in, in working with you and why they want to work with you. Once you figure out why they want to work with you, um, it, it's easier to answer that. I don't know if there's a universal answer I can give. What I do know is not everybody is motivated by money. So if you go in there with that assumption, you, have the, you run the risk of potentially overpaying. A lot of times people can sign up in, for a good cause or if they feel like they're doing really good. And other thing that people like to do is they like to follow leaders with vision. So if you're a leader with a good vision and you've got this, and you can present that vision and create some clarity and create some excitement and have that enrolling conversation with them, that's a good way to motivate as well. But it's getting to know the person because everyone's motivated by something different. Tom from St. Charles, Illinois wants to know, how can I convince a seller on the MLS that seller financing is the best way to move forward? And is it even legal to contact them? Okay. Well, I don't know if you can convince a seller to do anything. <laughs> it's typically their internal motivation that is going to convince them to take that action. First thing, um, let me go back to the legal aspect of it. If, who asked that, Tom? Tom, are you a licensee? No. no. Then it is legal for you to approach them, okay? You're not breaking any laws. If they were to conduct that business without their real estate agent, they're actually not breaking a law either, but they are in breach of that contract. But there's no law against you, and you're not violating any code because you didn't agree to anything. Okay, so it's, it's really on, 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 the burden is on them. Okay, so you can't approach them. So the third one was, how do you convince them of seller financing? Uh, um, Offer them a three-option letter of intent <laughs> and see if they'll bite. That is certainly one way. Uh, but if you get into a conversation and they've decided that they want all cash for their property, another angle to go in that, uh, that's worked for us in the past is, wow, you, $100,000, you're going to walk away with $100,000 of cash from this property. That's a lot of cash. 
I, I've got some cash sitting on the side. I'm just curious, what are you going to do with it? Because I'm looking for a place for my cash too. And that can that if you answer that way, it's a it's an unthreatening way to ask that question and get a truthful answer because they think you're asking for. You, you know, for your own money and your own investments, which you very well could be. Maybe they do have a secret that you really want to know about. And uh, a lot of them say, uh, if they're going to go buy another house, they need it to buy the other house, then they're probably not going to be open to seller financing. Okay? But if they say, well, I'm just going to put it in the bank or I'm going to put it in a mutual fund or I'll put it in the money market for a little while, and wow, really? How much interest do you think you're expecting to get on that? Because that's interesting. I never thought of that. You're just playing Columbo. Who would say they play dumb? Right, Blanca? We play dumb, right? And you get the, the, you get the good answer and you say, yeah, well, I got a mutual fund that's going to give me 2%. It's been doing that for the last 20 years, worked great for my grandparents, and I'm going to do the same thing. Wow, 2%. You know, would you be open to, to something that would pay you 4% and was actually secured by a hard asset rather than just paper and numbers in cyberspace? That's what I'd ask. Would you be open, right, Stephen? Would you be open? I like that word. Is you that like that? <laughs> yeah. Would you be open? So once you get them to dial in what they're going to do with their money and what their return is going to be, it's really easy for us as real estate investors to double or triple it and make it a no-brainer. Now, I'm not saying it's going to work every time, but that is a way to get into that conversation and get them the wheels turning. Indeed, it gets the wheels turning. Uh, Chris from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona wants to know, if cash is not an issue, do you prefer flips or wholesaling? If cash is not an issue, do you prefer flips or wholesaling? It, it depends. <laughs> you know, it, it really does depend. Um, I like the speed of money. I think that has a, as much value sometimes is the amount of money. Uh, the, the saying, I'll take the, uh, the fast nickel over the slow dime. But then again, the fast nickel compared to the slow quarter or the fast nickel compared to the slow 50 cent piece. So I, I think that depends. Um, I guess probably also, what do you like to do? Do you like to just process paper, process paper cash checks? Or do you like to get in there and actually build something? I think they're, they're both, uh, it's, it's a personality thing, I think, what you like to do the best. But I think Chris was asking about did I, what did I you like. What do I like? I like to buy and hold. I don't like to flip. And, and the reason I say that is, you know, I, as I shared with, my, with you my, my story in the music business, I made a lot of mistakes. And I made them all on my own. When I got into real estate and started going to RIA clubs, when you go and you ask the, the old guys, and they're up on stage, and you see them up there, they've been doing it for decades, and you ask them, if you were to start all over again, start from scratch, what would you do differently? And invariably, the answer, it comes in a few different shapes, sizes, and forms, but invariably, the answer, every single one of them says, I wish I would have bought more and sold less. Almost every single one says that. I mean, if you think back, if you bought 20 homes 20 years ago, where would you be today, right? If you bought 40 homes 40 years ago, where would you be today? You know, it's like, those, it's undeniable that you'd probably be in a better situation than you are right now. So that's why, that's, I prefer to hold. I'm just gonna learn from other people's mistakes. We, uh, we won't, be long enough, won't be here long enough to make them all on our own. This is true. Uh, Chris uh, that's, also. Uh, that's uh, Mark Twain, by the way. <laughs> I can't say, can't take credit. Chris also wants to know uh, what budget would you suggest to secure five wholesale deals in two months? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a great question, but it, it depends, is the answer. It depends on your experience level, because the budget for me and the budget for you would be very different. 
and I don't even know if, if you have more experience and you're better at it than I am or not. It's just that we're different people and that budget would be different. The, the market conditions are gonna be different. The market that you're in is gonna be different. So would they need two in two months or five in two months? They need five in two months. Okay, so typically we get about one deal per 100 calls. So if we want five deals, we need to generate 500 calls. If you're operating it at what, a 5% um, response rate on your direct mail, what's that, 25,000 marketing pieces? Did I mind doing the math right, engineers? So 25,000, 50 cents a piece, there's 12 grand, 12,500. There's no guarantees, but that's, that's kind of how the numbers and the statistics will play out. I guarantee your phone will ring with 25,000 pieces, <laughs> for sure. Um, that concludes the questions, but I will say, Matt, I've had the privilege of interviewing a few of you during our sessions uh, of this epic intensive. And almost everyone says this event that you put on is amazing. You're selfless. You give so much of yourself. I want to know, why do you put these events on? Why do you give so uh. much of yourself? to all of these people that are actively doing deals on different levels, mm -hmm. making different profits, doing different strategies, and you keep doing it over and over and over again? There's probably a lot of reasons. The, the first one that comes to mind is that someone shared the information with me, and I think about where I would be if they hadn't. Um, you know, it all started with a book that we talked about today, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. And I think about how different my life would be and probably everybody's life would be if they just, you know, out of the high school curriculum, they snatched out Catcher in the Rye and replaced it with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like, what would have opened up for, for people and what different paths would they have chosen? So I think about that. And I, if I didn't have that book, I, it, would, it sent me on a path where I met a lot of people who become mentors. Stephen is, is certainly one of the people that fell in that path. And that I just would have never met and I, today I think I'd be like, I still wouldn't know about this. So I think it's just, and so it's worked out very well for me, and I think it's just, it's just not cool to know something that would help somebody else and keep it to yourself. I think that's ultimately what, what it is. Well said, sir. I think those are all the questions that I have. All right, super. Let's give Mercedes some love. Three, two, one. Sweet. All right, so I've got Mr. Stephen Gregg here. He was our guest speaker today. Thank you very much, Mercedes. And uh, he did an amazing training on networking. Uh, Stephen, I guess, tell the audience and everybody out there what, who you are and what you do. All right, no problem. Thank you for letting me be here again. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And um, again, my name is Stephen Gregg, and my company is Business Sales Expert. And what I do is I work with individuals and companies, small businesses. Um, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, coaches, and sales professionals. And my whole business is to help them grow their business. Um, through either sales, through training, or through lead generation. And I do online and offline marketing as well. So I, it sounds like a lot of things, but ultimately the bottom line is I help people generate more sales through whatever they're doing in their business. So ultimately that's what I do. I help Fantastic. people make more money. It's a very valuable service. Yeah, I think so. Who it's doesn't fun. want more sales, right? <laughs> Super. Easy to find the market, there you go. Right? <laughs> Sweet. So yes, um, Stephen, he's been an amazing mentor for me and so much of what you hear out of my mouth was either came directly or indirectly from Stephen. So I am eternally grateful for you and, and our relationship, our friendship, and uh, you're the best dude. So thanks for being here today. Thank you, I appreciate you it. You bet. Let's give him some love. Three, two, one.
That one's kind of loud. What do you call it? A slam and drums in it? Very good. All right, so, Stephen, I got a couple questions. Okay. And I kind of thought back in the beginning of, of what I was really dealing with, and if anyone else is in those shows, because when I heard about networking, I was like, oh, God, it means I have to talk to people. And I don't like to talk to people. And I still really don't like to talk to people. But I saw, I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to learn. I knew I had to, to, to strengthen that muscle, get out of my comfort zone. And, and boy, if you work with Steven, he'll get you out of the comfort zone. And, and just the, what's on the other end of that is so rewarding. So just having the faith in, in what he teaches is, is amazing. But so as you are would recommend somebody to get started because everybody very much I, I could tell was really identifying with what you're saying and then I think at the, at the same time there was excitement there was also a little bit of fear mixed in as well yeah. and so there's some anxiety for sure so for someone saying okay I get it it's a very compelling story compelling reasons why I have to get out there this I am in a people business I need to interact with people if I want to build my business would you recommend someone in that those shoes just jumps in the, the deep end and goes for it or is there a path or a strategy where they can kind of tiptoe in and get deeper and deeper slowly gradually I'm um, sure absolutely well I want to say something about what you just said because I just was thinking back when I had to make that decision because like you guys heard earlier I was very shy and insecure and everything else I was really really far back on my success level and had no skill set to do it but one thing that changed that was different because everyone had been telling me I have to go networking, I gotta go networking, that's the way you do it. And I was in network marketing. There's no other way to do it and there was no internet at the time. So what I had to do is I had to change my thinking first, which was I don't have to go networking. I could choose to keep failing. I could choose to not have the success. I could keep choosing to not do it. So I changed the way I looked at it and I said, now I, ha I don't have to do it, I want to do it. And so once it became a want versus a have to, now it was fun. See, a lot of people stop themselves because they, don't, they feel like they have to. It's pulling teeth. They have to become someone different. No, you don't. You can stay the way you are. Just don't expect the results. <laughs> so that's what I had to do for myself. I had to say to myself, I don't have to go networking. I don't have to go talk to these people that I'm afraid of. I have to want to. And I have to want to for a bigger reason than my fear. So my reason was I had a big dream and a big goal and I wanted to help people. I knew one day I was going to be on a stage talking to people and training them because that was my vision. So if I wanted that vision, I had to want to do something different now. And that's where it started, was just having the desire to help people, um, help myself and help others. And then I had to come up with some different philosophies and mindset because the skill came from the training, but the mindset had to change first. So one of the mindsets I had to adapt was that if you build the people, the people will build the business, the nation, and the world. So that's a slogan I took on that that's how I act in my business. So when I meet people, I'm not looking for just money. So I don't train people for money. I train people to help them grow personally, and then the money comes. So I serve the people, and then the business comes. So in the same thing in real estate. You go out and look for the need, like I think you talked about that. Look for the problems and the, serve, the, the and you become the solution, and then the people will come to you. So that would be where I would start. Instead of just going out just what you have to do, just take it and own it first. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go networking. You don't have to do any of the marketing he just said. You don't have to buy any of the systems. You don't have to get trained. You don't have to do anything. But then just don't expect the results. Don't expect to generate the income from real estate investing. 
Now you have to say, okay, now do I really want to be an investor? Do I want to get educated? Do I want to learn how to generate more business without spending money on marketing? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Now I'm willing to go learn. So one tip that I can give you, because you asked for one tip, which would be go to Toastmasters if you're that afraid. That's what I recommended all of you to do. That's what I recommended Jay to do and a lot of other people. I say go to Toastmasters. Write that down. Toastmasters International is one of the best ways to learn how to speak. And it's like 10 bucks. But it'll teach you those skill sets so that you could be more effective, your confidence go up, and then you can go out and you know, do what you need to do. So that would be one good tip. That was a great tip. Am I on? Check the one, two? All right, cool. That'd be a great, that's fantastic. Thank you, Stephen. Um, there was something that you said there. Go ahead. For those of us who don't know, can you tell us just a little bit about what Toastmasters is and why you would recommend it? Sure, sure. Well, back years ago, in, I think it was 2009, 2008 or so, um, that's when I was shy and insecure. So I, now I made the decision that I want to learn how to speak. So I looked online for places to go learn how to speak. And the only place, in, at, that place at that time I knew of was junior college or I can go to some public place called Toastmasters. So I did both. I actually went to pub, back to school to learn how to speak and it took speech classes. The second thing I did is I went and I found this thing called Toastmasters International. And it's just a group of us, people that look just like you, that talk like you, that are just as afraid as you. And all they do is they get up and then everyone does a little short speech, maybe 30 seconds, do your intro, and then everyone does the intro. Then the next time you speak a little longer and, you, and they critique you. They say you got a lot of ums and ahs. And that was me, I had like 47 ahs per minute. <laughs> Anybody relate? I was that guy that had all these ums and ahs, but they would catch him and say, you got all these ahs that you said, and you actually get penalized for the ahs. So you now are conscious of it. But they're not laughing at you because they got just as many. Some people are more advanced, some people are brand new, and the whole intent of Toastmasters is to help you get better. And then I've seen people go and win awards and all kinds of stuff. Next thing you know, they come out and now they're successful in business. So it's one of the least expensive ways to learn how to um, become a good speaker. And you're not trying to be a public speaker, you're just becoming a good speaker in confidence in front of the room. Which that's what's gonna take either one-on-one -on -one or even in a group. It's the same thing, it's no different. So that's, that's what Toastmaster is. Mm -hmm. Super, yep, you made us go. Yeah. <laughs> and we went. <laughs> um, so one of the, the comments comes from, because we've got people here from all over the country. And we're very fortunate to be here in Los Angeles, and it seems like there's a real estate investing event every single night. Yeah. Like there's no shortage of events to go out and, and exercise your networking skills. Uh, for people that are in other parts of the country where those events aren't so abundant, mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, there, there was one RIA meeting and they got to drive 60 minutes to get to it yeah. once a month. Um, what would, how would you recommend people, where could they find sources or what would you recommend as far as exercising this networking skill and this strategy and generating leads? Okay, good, good question. Well, one of the things you can do, um, every city has a chamber of commerce. And the reason why I say chamber of commerce, even though it's not a real estate investment group, but like I proved to you earlier, there are people at chambers that are business owners, that are high net worth individuals, that run companies in your area, and that have real estate. Some have gone through divorce, some have gone through all the challenges that he said are right there in that room. But the difference is nobody's talking to them about real estate investing because they're not at a real estate investing event. But those people, if you just learn to ask the right questions and get them to say, yeah, I guess I do know. My brother just went through a divorce and he is trying to get rid of his property. Bam, you could just generate that lead that no one else is speaking to. So that's one way is chambers of commerce is in any state. And then if you just Google, 
in your area. If you live in less a town that only maybe 100 people, that's going to be a little difficult. You will have to drive. But you can also do online networking. Facebook is online networking. LinkedIn is online networking. It's the same thing. The only difference is you have to know how to communicate with them. It's the same. So the, the key is not if you go to a location, the key is being able to say the right things to attract them to you. So now I can do it on Craigslist and then get those people off Craigslist and talk to them. Or I could get on Facebook and do an IM message with them and then talk to them and get them to do a Skype meeting with me. Or there's ways you can do it online as well. Um, Meetup is another good one. I think you mentioned Meetup. Yeah, you can look up meetup.com. There's meetup groups all over the country. But it doesn't have to be a real estate investment group. It could be someone talking about um, investing their money in stocks and, and 401ks or uh, self-directed IRAs. Would they be good people for you? Of course. So go to one of those meetings. It's not real estate investing. They're talking about retirement, but they want to put their money somewhere. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of those out there. You just got to be do your due diligence and let your fingers do the walking through Google because they're out there for you. So that's what I would do. Perfect. I love it. Thank you. Um, yeah, we can go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Stephen, the, the training that I've, I've received from you over the years has been absolutely priceless. If anybody was interested in learning more about that or how they could connect with you, what's the best way to do that, best place to go? Oh, well, a couple of things. Uh, the first one is you can go to my website. is um, is businesssalesexpert.com and on there you can see all about me and then there's a spot on there that if you want a free one hour strategy session you're welcome to you know go on there but for you guys that you're here what I'm willing to do is just talk to you and give you some ideas and stuff and then if you do want to know more about what I do I'll help you with that too so you can go there you can sign up and just you know contact me let me know you are here and I'll definitely spend some time with you just to you know give you some additional insights of what we went over here that would be the best way or after this event, I'll stay around for a little while, and if you want to come give me your card, and we can set up a time to talk, and, and I can help you out there so, as well. Right, perfect. That's business sales expert or experts? Expert. Singular. Yeah, I need to buy the S, too. Yeah, just buy it. One of my other 475 domains. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> the only person I know with more than me. I love it. All righty, so let's give Steven some love. Three, two, one. Super. So I had a great time today. I'm looking for a great day tomorrow. Um, we'll go ahead and, and wrap this up. We'll hang, we can hang out and, and chat. Um, but uh, that's it. So I'll see you next week on another episode of Epic Real Estate Investing. I'm Matt Terrio. To your success. Okay, if you want to catch all of the excitement and be brought up to speed and get on the same page with everybody else in the Epic community, go to epiconlinecoaching.com, epiconlinecoaching.com, and you can attend for free, absolutely free, the live highlights of the Epic Intensive, the best of the best on how to escape the rat race. All right, epiconlinecoaching.com. Take care. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.